Good morning. The scripture today is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 34. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 890. Hear the word of the Lord. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name's Godwin. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here and uh, really excited to continue in the Gospel of Mark with you. This is a great passage. Now, I want to ask you this. Have you ever had this thought before? Okay. Have you ever had this thought before? If God is really God, then why are his people, his church, kind of small and weak in this world? Have you ever had that thought before? Why does the Christian faith feel a bit insignificant in modern America? Sometimes we struggle with the, the seeming weakness and smallness of God's kingdom, especially in comparison with the world's kingdom. Sometimes we wonder, why are the kingdoms of this world growing more prominent and strong? Why is my church or why is the American church not growing like we want it to? I mean, if the gospel is so powerful, why is the world so messed up? If Jesus is actually king, why is his kingship being largely ignored by society? Have you ever wondered these things? I have. I have. And what do we do often when our expectations, even kind of Christian expectations, are not met in life? This happens in the Christian life, right? There's a dangerous allure for speed and for immediacy. I want it, and I want it now. And this, of course, often gets us into trouble, right? So we're tempted with impatience, or we're tempted with anger, or we're tempted with kind of reacting to things and forcing results and controlling the situations and pushing things. 
Well, friends, when Jesus walked this earth for 33 years, he lived among his people, the Jews, and his people, the Jews, had big expectations. And some of these expectations are even shaped by the scriptures about God's coming kingdom. They had hopes for this Messiah to come and seize power away from the Romans and usher them into the glory days of David and Solomon and so forth. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus is trying to explain to these first century Jews why the kingdom is not some big happening thing right now. And this is by God's design. And of course, the first century Jews, they weren't the only ones that needed to hear this message. We certainly do as well. Here's the main point. You'll see it on your screen. Main point of this passage in this sermon in a sentence, or two, I guess in this case, be patient and hopeful, church. Jesus' kingdom today may seem small and inconsequential, but in due time it will grow into something massive and prominent. I'll say it again. Be patient and hopeful, church. Jesus' kingdom today may seem small and weak and inconsequential as we're looking around, but in due time, in the end, it will grow into something massive and prominent. So here in this passage in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is continuing his public teaching near the Sea of Galilee. And here he offers, notice, three parables, three pictures where he addresses misconceptions about the kingdom. Three perspectives on God's kingdom. Here's the first. We see the revelation of the kingdom, which is hidden now and revealed later. Here's the first little parable. And this is what we see. God's kingdom is hidden now. It's concealed now. It will be revealed later. Now, before we jump into this particular parable, we got to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? How might you answer that question? What is the kingdom of God? Do you have a good definition of God's kingdom? Well, let me give you just a kind of a brief, simple definition. You may have heard it from me or the other pastors as we've preached before. Here it is. Four words, God's rule on earth. That's the kingdom of God, God's rule or reign on earth. Now, the kingdom of God has its roots in the Old Testament. Uh, we've seen in the first chapters of Mark, it's launched in Jesus's public ministry as he teaches authoritatively and performs miracles and casts out demons. And, and even today in the 21st century, we would say we've gotten a taste of this kingdom by way of the spirits, right? God's rule and reign in our lives. But we know that the fullness of this kingdom, the ultimate kind of culmination of this kingdom, it's not going to come until Jesus comes back. If you're a Christian here this morning at Faith Church, this is what you long for, God's rule on earth. And so every moment of crisis or injustice or personal sin or relational tension that you might face, it makes you long for the day when God will fully rule a perfect universe with all of God's perfected people, right? So what is Jesus doing here with his first par uh, parable? Well, he's trying to clarify a misconception. He's saying, first of all, the kingdom of God is hidden now, but later it will be revealed. Last week we saw, and Pastor Drew preached a great sermon on this, the parable of the sowers. And we, we noticed that the parables as a genre intentionally conceals the kingdom. It's not for everybody. It's for the disciples. It's for those who are, have soft hearts, but it's not for everybody. And here we see another parable. This one is about a lamp. So what is Jesus saying here about this lamp in verses 21 through 25? Notice with me. Of course, we know this. When you have a lamp, what do you do? You bring it into a dark space to provide light. That's the purpose of a lamp, right? You don't hide the lamp. That would not make sense. The purpose is to bring the light 
into the room. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, what he's saying is that right now the kingdom in some way is kind of concealed. It's under the basket, and the future is going to be fully manifest. We're going to understand the fullness of the kingdom later. And so right now Jesus is a sort of veiled king. Right now he's kind of under a basket, as it were. Um, but not forever. We know that, right? In time, more light is going to become visible and available to us. You can think about it this way. The kingdom of God is kind of like a piece of embroidery, okay? So one side is a mass of tangles and knots, and it's pretty ugly looking, and you don't want to look at it. The other side, of course, is it's a beautifully finished pattern. To outsiders, Jesus is a homespun rabbi without very many credentials, this kind of Galilean upstart. Who is this guy? What is he doing? But friends, how might a humble disciple detect in the ordinary threads of Jesus's life the emerging pattern of God's kingdom? Well, according to Jesus here, notice at the end of verse 23 and verse 24, we get to know this kingdom when we listen. Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Jesus is saying, listen up. The light of the world has come. I'm here. Pay attention. And if you receive kind of the small hidden kingdom now, later you're going to receive more. This was, of course, true of the disciples, right, as these parables were given for their understanding. But in due time, what's going to happen? Well, more light's going to be available to them. Post-Easter, after Jesus dies a brutal death and he's raised to new life, he ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and there's more light available to the disciples. And the same is true for us today, right? So we gather here this morning, 2,000 years later, we too have more light, more understanding. Now, we don't understand everything about King Jesus or his kingdom, but we have more than these pre-Easter disciples did. Today, we have the full Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we have access to hundreds of Bibles and church libraries and Amazon and digital books and mature Christians who can help us think about how does the Old and New Testament connect, and there's more light available. There's more to be seen. Now, I know some of you may be struggling with this. Perhaps you're a baby Christian, you're having a hard time understanding. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're not sure what the next step looks like for you. You don't always understand what you read. But I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. On this side of the new earth, we're not supposed to grasp the full significance of God's kingdom. We are all on a learning journey, right? We're all trying to listen better and trying to pay attention better. We're lifelong learners, right? We're growing and listening, growing and obeying. And friends, that's a feature of Christianity. That's not some bug in the system. The posture Jesus commends here is one of humble reception. We had to contrast this with the, the religious elite, right? The Pharisees, the scribes of the day. I mean, what were they doing? They were pushing Jesus away. They didn't care about the light he brought. He was actually getting in their way. So they're like, hey, get out of here, Jesus. They started to plot to get rid of him, to kill him, right? Friends, I want you to notice what is kind of in the background of this particular parable. Jesus is willing to work with unfinished disciples. Isn't that good news? And check out the end of verse 24 and 25. By the measure you use it, Jesus says, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. How many times have you over the years, you know, looked at the same passage of Scripture and, you know, the first time, maybe 10 years ago, you saw a couple insights and then as time goes on and as you are 
looking at this passage of Scripture and growing in your faith and understanding and obedience and your ability to listen, you see more and more and more. You know, it's like the Bible is, is this onion and there's just more layers, there's more depth. You can keep pressing on the Bible and, and, and hitting the Bible and it comes out with more, right? That's a beautiful thing, right? So friends, let me just encourage you, be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself as you're approaching the Bible. You know, and, and also let me encourage you in this manner too, be patient with other Christians. Maybe they're not ready to know what you know, Maybe they're not ready to have the light that you have and, and you have some insights maybe they don't have. So the question for us this morning is, will you be patient? Will you be gentle? Jesus works with unfinished disciples, right? So will you, will you as well? So that's the first thing we see. We see the revelation of the kingdom, hidden now, revealed later. The next thing we notice in the next parable is the growth of the kingdom, gradual now, completed later, verses 26 through 29. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of first century Jews for just a moment, okay? So before the Romans took over the world, these Jews, they had kings, they had kingdoms. Their best king, as you might know, is King David. Their most prominent, successful king was probably Solomon. So they were waiting for this kingdom that was promised, that this Messiah would come, this earthly king would come, and, and most of them were thinking that it will be a lot like what it was before. So they've had some land, and they'd have this earthly king, and they'd have political might and military strength and so forth. Then Jesus shows up and he announces that like, hey, I'm here. The Messiah is here. The kingdom is here. It's near. It's at hand. And you got to imagine these disciples ready to go. Okay, let's do this. Let's go, you know, kick some tush, right? Let's get these Romans out of here. Let's drive them out of here. We got work to do, Jesus. We got to make a plan and we got to strategize and we got to, you know, erect this kingdom and muster a militia into this prevailing mindset. Jesus speaks to this parable. What is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God actually like? It's kind of like a farmer. He's got a bunch of seeds and he's scattering it everywhere. He goes to bed and he gets up. He does this for days and weeks and behold, the crop starts to come in, right? Jesus is the sower. He's scattering the gospel seed, as Drew said last week, liberally, right? promiscuously, indiscriminately. The seed is going everywhere. And like we learned last week, sometimes the seed takes root and bears much fruit. Sometimes it doesn't. But friends, it's always God who gives the growth. I want you to notice verse 28. Notice it says, the soil produces a crop by itself. The Greek word there is automata. It's where we get our word automatic from. It's not like the farmer does some like microscopic inspection of the seed, digs it up a little bit and works hard to rearrange its parts and add some stuff to it and miracle grow or whatever, and it makes it into something new with fruit, right? That's not what the farmer does. The germinating power to grow is in the seed, not in the farmer, right? What is the growth Jesus is talking about here? This is kingdom growth, this, this growth from the seed. How does the kingdom of God grow? We're, we're talking about adding people to the ranks of Jesus' kingdom. So we're talking about new subjects. Look at verse 29 with me. It speaks of this kind of final harvest. There's allusions here to Joel chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 14, where there's pictures of final judgment, where the crop has kind of all come in, finally come in, and God's going to separate the good crop from the bad crop. He's going to put the, the new crop into his everlasting storehouses, and we know what's going to happen to the bad crop. It's going to go into hell. So this is the harvest, and it's a harvest of people. 
And how did they get into this kingdom? How did they, the seed kind of grow up? Well, it's not by the hard work or the strategies or the genius or the ingenuity of the farmer, but simply by the power of the seed that was sown, right? Friends, the word is enough. This means that we don't build the kingdom. God builds the kingdom with his word. Now, why am I saying that? Because there's just so much kind of uh, sloppy language, I think, in the evangelical church about building the kingdom, establishing the kingdom. So what, what are you doing to build the kingdom? And what does your kingdom work look like and so forth? And sure, we do some work that is shaped by the values of the kingdom, but make no mistake, friends, we do not build the kingdom or expand the kingdom or establish the kingdom. The Bible never talks in those terms. We pray, as Jesus commanded us to pray, thy kingdom come. So we pray for the kingdom, but it's God who brings forth that kingdom. We sow and then we sleep. God brings the growth, right? And how does he do that? He does it with his word. I've already said it. The seed is the word, the gospel, the teachings of Jesus. The germinating power for spiritual growth is intrinsic to the seed, which means that the word is sufficient. Jesus couldn't have stated it more emphatically, right? The farmer sows and sleeps. The earth brings forth the crop automata by itself. And this doesn't mean, by the way, we just kind of sit on our hands and do nothing and sleep more. Like, I would like that, to be honest. Now, we make efforts and we plan and we you know, make our strategies, but as the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers do what? labor in vain. God must do the work if anything of eternal significance is, is to be done in us and through us. And of course, this absolutely flies in the face of our human sensibilities and natural instincts, right? I mean, <laughs> we want it now, right? We, we, I mean, too many of us are, are interested in a sort of ministry success that's based on numbers, more people, more dollars, more conversions, more baptisms. We want growth. And so we kind of hunt for the latest church fad. You know, in the 90s and the 2000s, there was something called like the ministry box. So 40 days of purpose or 40 days of evangelism or 40 days of this or that. And, and you get this box and you, you know, distribute the material and you've got your six-week sermon series or whatever. And, you know, that's what you would do because apparently these ministry boxes guaranteed promised church growth if you just did these few things. Even now, social media ads, as I kind of scroll through Facebook, I'll run into an ad that says something like, you know, if you do these three things, your church will grow. And I'm like, really? And I, and I click on the link because I'm curious, what are they going to say, right? And it's not what you would expect. Some churches put on a show, lights, camera, action. Some churches build the whole thing around the personality of their pastors. But I want you to notice, church, the simplicity of what Jesus is saying here. It's so simple, isn't it? Just scatter the seed and sleep. Just scatter the seed and sleep. Jesus is interested in slow, steady growth. It's what the Reformers call the ordinary means of grace, faithful preaching of the word. That's my job and other pastors' job here. Faithful evangelism and, and Bible reading with the next generation and so forth. Faithful prayer. That's all of our jobs, right? And lots and lots and lots and lots of sleep and patience and prayer. 
There's no ministry box with Jesus. There's no rapid strategy for growth. There's just the word of God and prayer. And you might say to me, but pastor, that's just like really slow and boring. I mean, I want more, right? And notice, I want you to notice this. There's a major contrast here between verses 27 and 28 and verse 29. Okay, let me read these verses to you. Verses 27 starts with this. He sleeps and rises night and day. Notice the plants. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. Verse 28, the soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain of the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends forth the sickle because the harvest has come. I want you to notice in these verses, in verses 27 and 28, the description emphasizes the gradual growth, right? You see that? The slow growth. It takes a while. First you just see a blade, then he goes back to bed. Maybe it takes him weeks before he sees more, right? Even though it looks like nothing is happening for a while, the miracle of growth is still happening, even if it's hidden, even if it's under the surface. But then notice verse 29. There's kind of this abruptness. There's an immediacy about the harvest. A literal rending of this verse would say, when the crop is ready, at once he puts the sickle in. So there's no waiting once the crop is ready. The harvest just kind of happens. Now, what, is, what does this all mean? The emergence of Jesus' kingdom is gradual, largely invisible, often happening with little fanfare. But the consummation of God's kingdom at the end of time when Jesus comes back, that's going to be immediate and clear and climactic. There's nothing that we will be waiting for when Jesus returns. It's the stuff of Revelation, right? When he comes back, what do, you, what do we see? We see him riding on this horse. He comes back. It's the, this decisive day. It's clear. It's, it's, it's physical in nature. It's public. Everybody sees it. And he brings salvation and judgment to this whole earth. That's what's coming. So kingdom growth, Jesus says, will be slow now by design. Eventually, yes, it will be decisive and complete. Oh, boy, though, we want it now, don't we? We want it all right now. There is such a dangerous allure. There's such a dangerous allure of speed that lies in our hearts, of expediency that lies in our hearts. We don't just want results. We want rapid results, don't we? We aren't used to thinking slowly, acting prayerfully and deliberately, enjoying the slow build that may come from our efforts. We want it yesterday. But look at this passage again. Like the farmer sees nothing for maybe weeks, right? And then when he sees something, it's just this little blade. He, he's got to wait some more to see more of the plant. And then he's got to wait some more to see the full harvest. He's got to wait till the next age to see that. This is the slow unveiling of the kingdom of God. And friends, we must trust the kingdom is growing even when we don't see it, even when the growth is under the surface. What if the spiritual investments, the, the, the gospel proclamations you're making with your neighbors, you know, your Bible reading with your children, what if those seeds are still kind of lying under the surface? What if we won't, we won't even see the blade for years, for decades? What if it's not even you who will see the fruit? Maybe it'll come after you're dead and gone. There's a man named Carl who spent decades in the United Arab Emirates. So this is in the Middle East in two cities in Dubai and Al Ain. And what did he and his family do? They 
spread seeds. They sowed indiscriminately and promiscuously. And so for decades, he prayed and he sowed the seed and then he would go to sleep. And he so longed for the, the spiritual fruit that we all long for. But when he got old, he had to return back to the U.S. He went back to Wisconsin, his home state. And friends, Carl never saw one piece of fruit for all the labor that he invested. Not one convert. He sowed and he slept. He sowed and he slept. He sowed and he slept and prayed. But then another man would show up and see the fruit. And we, many of you know him because he's preached in this pulpit before. His name's Max Staus. He shows up with his wife. Two other families go with him to those same places. And as they worked, as they started to sow and, and water, they saw that little blade pop up. And, and I think Mac would tell you if he was here, it was really a revival that he saw. He saw hundreds of conversions on the college campus, and they were gathered up into churches in Dubai. They started to see more of the crop, not all of it, but more of it. Friends, we just don't know what God will do with our efforts. But our task isn't to wonder, like, why not me or why her? We're not to grow discouraged and impatient. Our job is to sow and sleep and pray. We must believe what is stated in Isaiah chapter 55. You might know this verse if you've been in the church for long enough. The word of God does not return void, does not return empty. Whenever it goes out, it's going to accomplish what God wants. The seed may sprout quickly. Maybe it might lie dormant for a while. It may even serve to harden the soil, as we learned last week. But it always does God's work. Listen, friends, God has a plan for every seed that you scatter. Think about the seeds that have been dropped in your life. I mean, hundreds of sermons that you've listened to if you're a Christian right? Hundreds of Bible studies you've attended, maybe some retreat talks or conferences that you've uh, been to, uh, the number of small group discussions, maybe even the casual conversations we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ around food or something like that. There's lots of seeds in your life. There's lots of gospel in your life. Let me ask you this question. How many of them do you remember? Like, How many of those sermons do you remember? How many of those Bible studies do you remember? How many of those casual conversations do you remember? Maybe like three sermons, five conversations that went late into the night, those two conversations you had with your college roommate, right? There's some that kind of stick out, but you also don't remember most of the meals you've eaten, right? How many meals do you remember? I don't know, maybe three or four or five or six or seven, but we would all agree that all of the meals we've eaten have nourished us, right? I mean, you're here, you're alive. They've nourished you. They've kept you going. Friends, that's kind of like the word of God in us. Most of those seeds sown in your life, maybe decades ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe three years ago, they haven't caused maybe spiritual fireworks, but they're doing what God intended for them to do. Let's just keep you going for another week or another 12 hours. There's power in the seed. There's power in the seed. You know, sometimes we get into these situations where we're called to share Christ. Uh, with someone who we imagine has six feet of concrete around their heart, <laughs> you know, like they're living in a bunker, uh, this depraved bunker, and it's really hard to get in, and, and it feels like God's word is, is like a pebble. He hands us this pebble, and he's like, go at it, and we're like, <laughs> like, I'm so discouraged. This is not working, you know, and so we do it, but we do it half-heartedly, but what if God gives us hand grenades with this word? 
and we chuck them into that bunker and it's not going off for a while maybe and maybe maybe we won't see it and you just never know when God's going to pull the pin maybe it'll be 10 years worth of hand grenades that'll blow up right that's kind of the story of my life can't tell you how many people were just investing just dropping little gospel seeds since I was in probably second or third grade my school my parents pastors dropping gospel seeds in my life and that pin wasn't pulled till I was about 18 or 19 years old. And then, man, it blew up. Let me tell you the story of two Nicks. Jenny and I were just at his house, one of these Nicks, yesterday, and we were sharing about this. And I told him, you're going to show up in the sermon tomorrow. So here we are. He's showing up in the sermon. So Nick number one, Nick number two, took 14 years. I'm sorry, 14 years ago, Nick number one, after hearing the gospel, this is at college, this is at Michigan State University. He placed his trust in Christ, repented of his sins. And so the seeds that were planted over just a couple months slowly started to like take roots and, and, and all of a sudden you see new life. And it just happened just like that. Overnight it felt like, right? So that's Nick number one. Well, Nick number one started praying for Nick number two, who was his college roommate. Well, Nick number two became a Christian just a couple months ago. This morning in a church in Lansing, Michigan, he's getting baptized. 14 years, 14 years, 15, 20, 25 men and women have been praying for him, planting these seeds. Two churches, three pastors have been counseling him, helping him, trying to help him understand the gospel. 14 long years and I know some of you, I know some of you have been praying longer, longer than 14 years. I know there's a great deal of pain in the waiting. And I just want to encourage you, your parents, your spouse, praying for your spouse, don't give up. Keep sowing the seed. There's germinating power in that seed to produce life. Keep being faithful. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. You know, we're, we're tempted often to, to force things if we don't see the bunker being blown up, right? We, we're tempted to overwork things if we don't see the heart becoming softer to the gospel. But friends, the efficacy of God's word implores us to sow and then just kind of chill out and maybe pray, right? Actually, always pray. That's what, that's what God's word and the power of the seed implores us to do. And here's my concern. I have a concern as a pastor that, and this is from my own heart too, you know, sometimes we are, we grow impatient. We don't believe and trust in the power of God's word. And that actually affects our capacity to rest. If you're having trouble sleeping, if you're having trouble resting, it might be an indication that pride has taken root in your heart and it's manifesting in overwork and a lack of rest. Rest and prayer are demonstrations of gospel-wrought humility. Rest and prayer are expressions that you really do trust in the power of the seed. Let me ask you this question, friends. Have you grown to appreciate the little blade that may just kind of pop up? A little bit of spiritual life. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's in a brother or sister here at Faith Church. If the growth of the kingdom is gradual, sometimes under the surface, well, well, then when a little life starts to pop up, do you recognize it? 
Do you appreciate this small life that is there, that small little evidence of grace? And I'm talking about even the, the tiniest of things. Maybe your prodigal daughter has not come home, but she returned your call. Maybe that's just a little bit of life. Who knows? Maybe the marriage isn't fully healed, but they're starting to go to a biblical counselor. A little bit of life. Maybe the young man hasn't found victory over pornography, but he's acknowledged the addiction. He has begun the process of repentance. Oh, just a little life, right? Maybe Bible study this week wasn't earth-shattering. But if you were humble, it nourished your soul, didn't it? A little bit of life, a little blade. Do you recognize, do you appreciate the small blade of life? Do, do you appreciate the fruit of the seed, even when it's so tiny and so unremarkable and, and maybe almost unrecognizable? But friends, its very presence is an indication that God is at work. And so let me just commend to you to recognize even that little blade. All right, so the growth of the kingdom. Let's talk about the influence of the kingdom, the influence of the kingdom. It's small now, but it will grow prominent and big. Look at how this little story starts. It starts with a tiny mustard seed. Look with me at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what, is, what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large plants so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. So there it is. It's a small little seed. It grows to be the largest garden plant, about 10 feet tall, in fact. The birds rest in it. In other words, it's a picture of fullness and productivity and blessing. What is Jesus's point here? Well, he's saying that the kingdom starts small, but it grows big. Uh, this is about the size, the influence, the prominence of God's kingdom. And there's a reason Jesus uses this language. This is actually an allusion back to Daniel chapter 4. And in that chapter, uh, we see Nebuchadnezzar. So he's, you know, he's this great king of, uh, of, of um, Babylon, and he's basically has this huge prominent kingdom. And he has this vision, which Daniel then interprets. And in the dream, his kingdom is basically this tree, and it's visible to the whole earth, and it provides food for all, and it's triumphant and influential and prominent. But that tree, at the end of that vision, gets chopped down. A stump is left. So contrast that with God's kingdom tree here, which might start small, but notice it's going to expand. It's going to fill the whole earth. It's going to be prominent. It's going to go on, as we know, for forever and ever. And so Jesus is teaching that the kingdoms of this world, it might take up some space right now, just like Nebuchadnezzar's did. They're going to be cut down eventually, and only his kingdom will prevail. And how does this growth occur? What, what have we seen in the last 2,000 years? Let me, let's think about this, okay? Let's think about these small beginnings. The start was really unimpressive, you know, much like this mustard seed. You've got 12 pretty ordinary, uneducated, often clumsy disciples, uh, and that kind of turns into the church, you know, this ragtag, fledgling Jewish offshoot community in Jerusalem. I mean, these are really small beginnings, right? I mean, it's really meager, and Jesus is trying to tell them in this parable, listen, guys, what seems insignificant now is going to grow to something that is incomprehensible. Imagine those disciples, if they could even get a brief glimpse of the present-day church. I mean, there's, there's the, the church at the end of time, but even just like today, if they could get a glimpse of today, it would have been beyond anything they would have imagined, right? 
You can trace a line from these 12 disciples to every Christian on every continent, in every country today, at every church. And, and if they could kind of see that their words, the words of the apostles that are written down and codified and put together in this book, it's been translated in thousands of languages, prized by the calm mountain Tibetan people and the Mato people of PNG, as we know from the Stovers, and the people here at Faith Church in Cincinnati and other churches in this area, could they have dared to hope of such impressive growth from such small beginnings? Such small beginnings, right? Friends, this is the nature of God's kingdom. Even today, things feel rather small. Today, we watch God's kingdom being more and more marginalized. Christians are pushed to the edge of influence. The powers, the structures of this world seem to overshadow Christ's kingdom. The ethics of Christ's kingdom are mocked. The growth of Christ's rule appears to be outwardly rather unremarkable. Even if we do see that little blade, well, it's kind of unimpressive, right? At least for a while. But friends, what if this is all by God's design? That's what Jesus is saying here. We should not despise the day of small things. Francis Schaeffer talked about the influence of Christ's kingdom. He said, there are no small people and no small places. Maybe it's in these very small places with these small people that Christ's kingdom is actually present. Think about visiting my friend Dave's church out in Boston just a couple weeks ago, and I was sitting there in this smelly, old, unkept gym, you know, and there's 25 people sitting there in these rackety, you know, bad chairs, and, and my friend Dave is preaching the word of God and gospel. And it's beautiful. Friends, could the kingdom be here in this small place with a smelly gym with small people, right? To the extent that all of the buildings in downtown Boston and all of that which they represent in terms of the powers of this world do not even compare to what's going on in that little gym with Dave and just 25 people. The very things the world overlooks just might be the things God is most pleased by. Some of you have been here at Faith Church for years. You've seen maybe the so-called glory days of Faith Church, right? A uh, bigger church on the east side, a you know, prominent church in Cincinnati. Bengals players used to attend Faith Church. And maybe you're wondering, what about us now? We were the church that mattered. Do we matter now? Well, friends, things are just not quite as they seem on the outside. We look at the American church or the global church, and we can grow discouraged. What's happening? Where is God's kingdom we're not the big tree we thought we were, or we could be, or should be. We need to understand how fast can ch God can chop down that tree and replace that tree with another one. Friends, we need to trust that aligning with Jesus' small but not inconsequential kingdom is worthwhile. Because there's a temptation not only to kind of control things or push things or force things, there's also a temptation that we have to grow discouraged, right? To grow timid, to grow anxious and hopeless. Friends, our hope for spiritual success should not be tied to the next election or the stock market or church size or the number of baptisms. Our hope rests in a God who's designed things to be, for right now, rather small. And that's okay. We need to trust that. Our confidence can be in his kingdom. It's small now, but you know he guarantees it's going to be prominent 
later. This parable gives us confidence in the same way we have confidence when we watch a football game on DVR and someone tells us a score. I know it's annoying if it's your team, but what happens when you're watching that game? Listen, friends, we know we're going to win with Jesus, right? We know he's going to cut down those trees. He's going to establish Christ's tree, and it's going to take over this earth. This is how God wants us to live our lives. It's okay if we're down by 14 with five minutes left because we know we're going to get the W. We know the end. We know that Jesus will make all things, not a few things, not some things or most things, all things new in the end. And so don't fret over the smallness of things today. Don't try to build what you can only receive, but also don't withhold what you have to sow. Throw those hand grenades. Throw them. There's power in the seed. God will grow his kingdom in his own time, in his own way. Sure. Throw those grenades. He's not asked us to be the sharpest apologists or the most popular socialite or most winsome and crafty or the one with the best plan. He simply wants us to sow and sleep for he brings the growth. He wants us to trust in the germinating power of the word and gospel. Friends, the word of God is enough to do the work of God. So let's preach and disciple and evangelize and pray and labor and rest like that's true. Amen. Let's take a moment to ponder this message and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper.